evening, Mosaic. Good evening, good evening. Thank you, Brandon. It's good to be with you all tonight. And isn't it so good, really, so, so good to be able to come together uh, as the people of God and be able to sing about the goodness and the faithfulness of Jesus, to be reminded that he is worthy, uh, that he is more worthy of blessing and honor and glory and power than uh, any other person or any other thing uh, in the world that we live in. Uh, my name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here. And again, it is great to be with you guys tonight. As Eric mentioned uh, earlier, we are walking through a series called Jesus True and Better. And throughout this series, we're really walking through how the storyline of the Bible leads us to Jesus. Um, that from Genesis to Revelation, uh, there are 66 books that make up uh, what we call the Bible. Um, and each one of those books and all of those stories that are contained within uh, are one unified story that lead us to Jesus. The Bible is divided in two main parts. Uh, we call it the Old Testament, or also known as the Hebrew Bible, um, and the New Testament. And, and these two uh, divisions are not two different stories or two different gods. And you have one God in the Old Testament uh, and one God in the New Testament. Uh, there is one God, and the story that unifies the Old and New Testament is the story of Jesus and the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus, what he did when he came and lived and died and resurrected for our salvation. That's what the story of the Bible is about. Now, um, I don't know where you're at in your life in terms of faith and how uh, much you've entered into the Bible, but let me just tell you as a pastor, uh, it's my job to read and preach and teach the Bible. Uh, the Bible's full of some weird stuff. Uh, there's some strange stuff in the Bible, um, and, and yet it is the word of God to us. Every bit of, of what is in the Bible is given to us for good reason and for God's purposes in our lives. The, the, the Bible says of itself that all of scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for correcting and teaching and training and rebuking and righteousness. Uh, but there's some stuff in the Bible that I'm telling you, uh, it would not uh, make a G rating in the movies. Um, there's some violence in the Bible, some crazy stories in the Bible. Uh, there's some crassness in the Bible. There's some stuff that you walk through and you're just like, wow, because the Bible is accounting for us uh, how the history of humanity interacts with the reality of who our God is. And so you might find a story as you're kind of walking through, you're like, man, this just seems so strange. This seems so weird to me. But when we recognize that the Bible is ultimately one unified story that points us to Jesus, it begins to illuminate for us some of these other stories in the Bible and why they might be in there in the first place. Tonight, uh, just as we've been kind of really singing about uh, through our time of worship, just singing about the faithfulness of God, we're going to be walking through a story where the faithfulness of God is truly in question, uh, that, that Throughout this story, as it unfolds, there are characters in the story, uh, one of whom is very confident in the faithfulness of God. The other is very unsure of the faithfulness of God. And, and I don't know about you, where you come from, what your faith journey is and what your story is. But I will tell you, there have been many, many points in my life. And the longer that I live, the more I realize this, that the faithfulness of God gets tested in our lives from time to time. Does it not? Uh, the, the question marks, uh, because of the circumstances that take place in our lives, often beg the question regarding whether or not God is involved, whether or not he is paying attention, whether or not he is good in the midst of our circumstances. 
And we do encounter that uh, in our story tonight. And as we've been singing, we're gonna find that the, uh, the answer to the question, is God faithful, is a resounding Yes, it is. It is a resounding yes that God is faithful to his promises. Um, and yet we live in a fallen and broken world. And as we engage in that world, uh, it is important for us to constantly go back to the beautiful truth that is found in that statement that, yes, our God is uh, faithful. So tonight, as we enter into our story together uh, with this series, Jesus True and Better, we're going to be entering into a story during the period of the judges Uh, And we're going to be walking through the story of Deborah, which is one of the judges uh, of the nation of Israel during uh, this period of the judges. Now, where we are kind of in the overall storyline of the Bible, uh, if you've been with us through uh, through this sermon series, you know that we started with Adam, uh, which is where our human story begins with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, where God placed them uh, in an environment where they could uh, live in obedience to God, to experience uh, the way that life was designed to be lived according to God's good intent and good design. Uh, but humanity rebelled in the Garden of Eden from God. We disobeyed the command of God. Uh, we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And because of that, we brought sin into the human race and into God's good creation, planet Earth. As a result of that, uh, this story begins to unfold where God is pursuing humanity Even though humanity breaks relationship from God, God does not give up on humanity, but continues to pursue relationship with humanity. Uh, Depending on on what your life story has been so far, maybe you've thought to yourself from time to time, maybe I'm too far gone for God to to come after me. Maybe I've blown it. Maybe I've totally messed it up. Maybe this this thing that I did or that thing that was done to me or this experience that that I have or this journey that I'm on, Maybe I'm just too far for God to reach. And the answer to that is that God will never stop pursuing you. Uh, that, that God never stopped pursuing humanity. So much so that the crescendo of that pursuit is God taking on human flesh to dwell among us, to live a life that we should have lived but didn't live, and then to die a death that we deserve, absorbing the wrath of God for sin that sin deserves so that we could be made sons and daughters. Jesus himself is proof that God will stop at no length to pursue after you and after me. And this story is unfolding in the genesis of humanity, the early stages of humanity, uh, where we see God continually pursuing after humanity, even though humanity had rebelled against him. So God forms this nation Uh, which is to be the nation of Israel. Uh, He has called some people, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. These are the patriarchs, uh, the fathers of this nation called Israel. God started with Abraham. He had a son uh, named Isaac, who was the son of the promise. We learned about his story. If you were with us uh, in our series, if you weren't, go podcast that. Danny preached on that, did a great job uh, showing how Jesus was revealed in the story of Isaac. Uh, Isaac has uh, some sons. Uh, Jacob is uh, one of those sons. Jacob then has some sons. Uh, One of those 12 sons is named Joseph. Joseph was like a favorite. uh, And if you ever have had kind of like some sibling rivalry in your family, you know that when parents play favorites, that doesn't go well, right? And so Joseph was like a clear favorite. His dad wasn't even trying to hide it. Uh, And so his brothers get jealous. They sell him into slavery, which is like, that's like, you're playing big time. You know what I'm saying? Uh, like here in our, in our lives, we might like hide the PlayStation 
You know, we might, uh, you know, play some pranks. We might try to embarrass you in front of your friends. These brothers, they, they did it for real. They, they sold Joseph into slavery, but God, his hand of protection was on Joseph. Joseph ends up in Egypt and God protects Joseph and actually uses Joseph uh, to preserve the nation of Israel within Egypt. His brothers end up coming to, uh, to Egypt during an incredible famine. God elevated Joseph to second in command so that he could protect and preserve the nation of Israel in Egypt. Well, after some time went by, uh, there was a man named Moses. And Moses comes onto the scene after uh, Joseph had died and had been forgotten by Pharaoh. And the nation of Israel became enslaved within Egypt. So God uses Moses, Moses sends Moses back into Egypt uh, to bring the nation of Israel out of Egypt in the Exodus, which is a massive story. And we talked about the story of Moses and how Moses demonstrates Jesus through his life and through his story last week. So Moses takes the nation of Israel out of the promised land and into this wilderness. And there's a period of the wilderness where God is spending time with a generation of Israelites to prepare them to go into this, this thing called the promised land. Uh, this is the land of Canaan. The Bible describes it as flowing with milk and honey, uh, which really just means it's a prosperous land. There's resources there. Um, it's a great place to be able to establish the nation of Israel. And the reason why God was establishing the nation of Israel in the first place, if we remember the promise that God made to Abraham, is that through Abraham, what would happen? All the nations of the earth would be blessed. And how would they be blessed? Ultimately, because through the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ would come. And it was through Abraham that Jesus, that through his line, Jesus, the Messiah, the savior of the world would come so that humanity could have salvation in relationship with God. So that's the backstory of where we find ourselves uh, tonight. Now, after Moses is in the wilderness with the nation of Israel, uh, he wants to lead them into the promised land. But because of some disobedience in Moses's life, God uh, disciplines Moses, doesn't allow Moses to go into the promised land. And as a result, Joshua is the one that takes the nation of Israel in, into the promised land. And you can read his story in the book of Joshua. Uh, and Joshua's story is a story where the nation of Israel is going into the land of Canaan. Uh, there are people that are there in the land. God desires the nation of Israel to possess that land. And the reason why God calls them into that land and calls them to, uh, to dispel and to expel all of the people groups out of that land is that the people groups that were living in the land of Canaan were worshiping false gods, false deities, idols. And these idols, we learn actually later on in scripture that these aren't just simply idols or simply other religions, but they're actually demons. These are enemies of God. Satan and fallen angels are, are enemies of God. And these demons uh, are being worshiped by these Canaanite people groups. And so they're serving these gods and the gods would, would require crazy, awful things of their people for worship. Human sacrifice would be included in that. Child sacrifice would be included in that. And God is saying, listen, if you allow the nations to live in this place around you, uh, because you are at a place where, where the story is just unfolding and you're not in a place where you can withstand that, they will become a snare to you. They will trip you up and you will begin to worship their gods and that will not go well for you. So 
God takes uh, Joshua and calls him to go in and to conquer, to, uh, through conquest to take the land and to expel all of the people groups out of that land so that the nation of Israel can flourish there and so that Jesus ultimately would be able to come and that the nation of Israel would be able to recognize him when he came. So that's the plan of God. But then people, people get involved. Uh, so that's where we're gonna get uh, started. Judges chapter two, uh, Judges chapter two, why don't you turn there uh, in whatever Bibles you have. If you're uh, on a smart device, you can look it up in the English standard version. That'll help you follow along with us today. Uh, today, I'm actually uh, utilizing one of our new gospel transformation study Bibles. Uh, we ordered a bunch of these. They're actually very nice Bibles. They're 20 bucks. Uh, if you need a good Bible, what we love about the Gospel Transformation Bible is very similarly to how this series is set up. Every story you read uh, through, through the Gospel Transformation Bible, the study notes that you'll find there are gonna point you to the truth of the gospel in every story that you read. And so we really appreciate that about this Bible, especially if you're fairly new to Christianity, fairly new to the faith. Maybe you're confused about some of the things you might find in the Bible and you're not sure really how it all connects together. The Gospel Transformation Bible is a great way to go. Now, if you just need a, a, a Bible, a good Bible, um, we have uh, some of those Bibles that are in the back, those blue Bibles that you can take for free. We'd love for you to have it because everyone should have a good Bible and be able to read it. We are big fans of the author and that's God. All right. So uh, Judges chapter two, uh, so that comes right after Joshua. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and then we find Judges Next, so towards the beginning of the Bible, Judges chapter two introduces us to where Israel is at uh, during this period of time. It introduces us to the period of the judges where our story is gonna be found. So I'm gonna read this for you. Judges chapter two, starting in verse one. It says, now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim. Now, anytime you see the angel of the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the Bible translators are giving us a clue that this is actually God himself, the second, person of the, tr second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ showing up, the pre-incarnate Christ showing up in the midst of the human story uh, on the scene. And so the angel of the Lord here is God. So we understand this is Jesus. This is God who is interacting with the people. So the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. That's his faithfulness. I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. Don't join up with them because they will be a snare to you. He says, instead, you shall break down their altars. You shall destroy uh, the ways that they are worshiping these demons, these false deities. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is it that you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides and their gods shall be a snare to you. And as, the, as a result of their disobedience, the disobedience of Israel to drive the people out of the land, uh, we find that this is going to become true of the nation of Israel throughout the period of the judges. Uh, what we're going to find during this period of the judges, because Israel failed to drive out the inhabitants of the land, 
Israel falls into a repeating cycle that will happen throughout the stories of the judges. So there are uh, 12, uh, 12 judges through the book of Judges, and you will find this uh, cycle repeating over and over and uh, again through these judges. And basically, here's how the cycle goes. Uh, the, uh, the people do evil in the sight of the Lord. You'll see that as the introduction of the cycle. The people do evil, evil in the sight of the Lord. And the particular type of evil that the people do is they worship other gods. They engage with these uh, Canaanite deities. They engage with these false gods, these demons, and they worship these other gods, which of course uh, kindles the anger of God. And because God is angry, and not just because he's angry, but because it is so bad for the nation of Israel to do this for their own sake, God responds by disciplining the nation of Israel. Now, scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter four that the Lord disciplines those he loves, uh, that, that he disciplines those he calls sons and daughters. So God uh, enacts discipline, not just to punish, not just to uh, get back revenge uh, against his own people. No, it's to discipline them, to bring correction so that their lives would flourish. So uh, the first thing that would happen, they would do evil. Uh, God would respond in discipline. The way that God would discipline is he would use some people group around them to come uh, and attack the nation of Israel. Uh, they would oppress the nation of Israel, these tribal uh, peoples that, that made up, uh, these 12 tribes that made up the nation of Israel. They would be oppressed. And through their oppression, they would cry out to God and say, we need help. And that would be the next step in the cycle. God, please help. And so God would have compassion over them and he would raise up a judge, which is another word, uh, another way to think of judge. We think of like a gavel, which is part of what the judges did. Um, but another, another way to understand what the judges did is they were deliverers. They were saviors. And so God would raise up a deliverer to deliver the nation of Israel out of the hands of their oppressors. And as long as that judge was alive, they were a-okay. They were good. There was peace. Uh, in Israel during that time period. But as soon as the judge would die, the nation of Israel would repeat the cycle. And again, they would go after these other gods and they would do evil in the sight of the Lord. And the cycle repeats over and over and over and over again. And here's how the cycle sounds in scripture. So verse 11 of chapter two, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Baals are uh, one of the type of false gods that, that were uh, in that area at that time. Verse 12, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashereth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hands of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out into battle, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, just as the Lord had warned. And as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. You see the starkness of language that the biblical author is using about the way that the nation of Israel was engaging with these other gods and how seriously God took this. 
They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hands of the enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and they were more corrupt than their fathers, going out after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So this is the cycle that the nation of Israel would engage in over and over and over again throughout the period of the judges. See, God's intent for this period of time is that God would be their God. God would be their king. God would be the one that they would look to, that he would be the one that they would worship. And if that was the case, then life would go well for them. But because they were rebellious, because they continued to go after idols, because they continued to worship other false gods, this cycle repeated over and over and over again. And God would raise up these judges uh, by his grace and by his mercy. So the story that we step into tonight is just that very story. It's the story of Deborah, who was a judge that God raised up. And because of the nation's wickedness, because of their rebellion, and because they continue to worship these other gods, uh, God used Deborah after they became afflicted uh, by the nations that surrounded them. God used Deborah as a deliverer. So let's go to her story. Judges chapter four, you can kind of turn over uh, a page or two. Judges chapter four, and we're gonna engage with Deborah's uh, story tonight. Now, remember when I started tonight, I talked about this concept of the faithfulness of God and the question uh, that we're gonna have of whether or not God was faithful to his promises. And we're gonna find that uh, unfolding here uh, through Deborah's story. Uh, But beginning in in chapter four, verse one, we see this uh, cycle being introduced in verse one. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud, who was the previous judge, died. And the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Heresheth Haggaiim. Not sure how that's really pronounced, Um, but I tried many times to just keep it consistent. All right. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, which means he had a lot of military might, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. So here's the nation of Israel. Uh, They've gone after other gods, and God sends Jabin the king with Sisera, the commander of his army, to oppress the nation. And they don't oppress them for like one or two weeks, like a siege or two months or like a two year long battle. For two decades, Sisera and his army and the Canaanites oppressed the nation of Israel and and they begin to cry out to God. They begin to experience uh, uh, God. We need your help. They begin to experience what God promised to them that when they would go after these other gods, that he would discipline them. And so in that As they were being oppressed, they cried out to the Lord. Verse four, now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. Now, Deborah is a very interesting figure in the uh, landscape of the judges. She's unique for a couple of reasons. Number one, 
She's unique because she's female. She's the only female judge. God used her in an incredible and mighty way uh, to deliver and save the people, which is such a beautiful picture of the fact that God can use both male and female to do what he wants to do in the earth. It's a beautiful picture for us. In this culture, in this cultural context, that was wildly unusual. So first of all, because she was female, she's unique among the rest of the judges. And beyond that, she's not just unique because she's female. She's also very unique because she judged the nation of Israel very faithfully. She was faithful to God's calling on her life. If you scan through the story of the judges, the vast majority of them were totally flawed. Uh, God used them even though they had massive character deficiencies. Now, the way the judges were used is that God would allow his spirit to empower them to do something great to deliver the nation of Israel. But so often through the lives of the judges, we see that they actually really didn't have much of a heart for God at all. Maybe you'll remember the story of Samson. And if you've heard of his story, you know that God did great and mighty things through his life, but he was very flawed. And he constantly went after, uh, you know, temptations, including the temptation that Delilah brought to him and, and, and encouraged him to uh, disregard his vow to the Lord. And because of that, he got into tons of trouble and ended up having to die a pretty rough death. But God still used him to, to deliver the nation of Israel from their oppressors. Uh, you, you may remember the story of Gideon, who God, uh, when he calls Gideon, Gideon's literally hiding uh, in a, uh, a threshing uh, room where he's threshing wheat and he's hiding from the oppressors and God taps him and he's like, are you sure you're talking about me? I'm like the least of the least of the least. God, maybe this is a bad idea and God uses him. And, and Gideon over and over and over again tests God just to make sure that God's actually got a good solid plan in place before he's willing to obey God. Maybe you remember Jephthah. Uh, Jephthah, man, his story is wild. And, and, and Jephthah, interacts with God almost as if God is like just another one of these other Canaanite deities. He makes a deal with God. Like, if you'll do this, then I'm going to sacrifice whatever comes out of my house. And God is not interested in us making those types of deals uh, with him. And yet God uses Jephthah to deliver the nation of Israel. So these judges were extremely uh, flawed in their character. But Deborah, all we see in her story is obedience to the faithfulness of God. So she is judging uh, the, the nation. People are coming to her uh, under the palm of Deborah. Later, the book of Judges is written. And by the time Judges is written down, uh, they have kind of really enshrined this place. It's like, that's the palm of Deborah. There was a high level of respect that the nation of Israel gave to her. And so uh, she is set apart among the judges for those uh, two beautiful reasons. So verse six, so she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kadesh Naphtali and said to him, has not the Lord, the God of Israel commanded you, go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army to meet you by the river Kishon, with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. So Deborah calls Barak, who is the commander of the armies of two of the tribes of Israel with 10,000 men under his command. And she asks him this very important question. She asks him this, has not God 
already commanded you. So it's very interesting. Deborah here does not give uh, Barak her opinion. She doesn't give him good advice. She doesn't give him, uh, you know, a lecture. She doesn't, uh, you know, uh, give him a strategy. None of those things. But she simply reminds him of what the Lord had already spoken to Barak. She's not even giving him a, a new, she's a prophetess. She's not even hearing the word of the Lord and it's a new word. And she's just simply here reminding him of what God had already spoken to him. So presumably, Barak had already heard this command from the Lord and Deborah is simply reminding him of this command. And it's, the command is this. You have this uh, commander, Sisera, who is commanding the army of the, the, the king of Canaan, Jabin. And now is the time after 20 years of oppression of this uh, general and this army over the nation of Israel. It's time now to go do some battle and God is going to deliver him into your hand. Now, you would think that if Deborah, who is a faithful judge over Israel, who is a prophetess, who is trusted in the land, comes to Barak and says, hey, remember, didn't God say this to you? Now's the time. You would think Barak would be like, let's go. Let's do this. All right, it's time. I'm tired of their oppression. I'm tired of the way that they're treating us. Let's go. Let's take our 10,000 men. Let's go into battle and let's do this thing. What's 900 chariots, right? But that's not how he responds at all. Instead, Barak said to her, if you go with me, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. See, Barak, even though he has already heard the voice of the Lord, that it is time for him to go with his army and to defeat this nation and that God is going to be with him because God has already spoken to him. Instead of saying, let's do this, let's go. He says, no, I'm only going to do it under these circumstances. I want assurance that if you go with me, if, the, if, if you, the prophetess, who perhaps to him represented the presence of the Lord, if you go with me, then I'm comfortable. I, I'm ready to go. But if you don't go with me, I will not go. So Barak is full of doubt in this moment. He's doubting the word of the Lord that he's already heard. He's doubting the faithfulness of God, whether or not if God calls you to something, is he going to be with you to see that thing through? And he's saying, Deborah, I'm only going to go if you're going to go with me. And there are a few things wrong. Number one, Barak uh, requires assurances as an ultimatum in order to obey God's command and trust God's promise. So that's at least one of the, the many things that are wrong with his response here. Another thing that he does here is that he asks Deborah, who, what is her calling? Her calling was to be a prophetess and a judge, not a military commander. And Barak's role, his calling was to be the general, the military commander over 10,000 men. And he asked Deborah, who was called to be a prophetess and to, a judge, uh, to be a judge, to essentially do what he was called to do in leading the army into battle. And finally, he's asking Deborah to risk her life to verify the truth of the words that God had already spoken to him that she was simply reminding him of. So here's how Deborah responds. And you might think that Deborah says, no, I'm not gonna go with you. Like, that's your job, dude. You, you do that. 
But here's how Deborah responds. She says, and I said, and she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali, the two tribes, to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels and Deborah went up with him. So here's this guy, Barak. He's the commander of these two tribes, 10,000 men at his command. And because he's not willing to listen to the voice of the Lord, even though God is gonna be faithful to his promise to see the battle through, the glory and the credit is not gonna go to Barak at all. The glory and the credit is ultimately gonna go to the Lord, but it's also going to go to a woman. Now for a man in that cultural context who is leading 10,000 men of his own, that's a bit of a, a bruise to the old ego. You know what I'm saying? And it was God's discipline in his life to say, listen, when you're not going to trust me, when you're not gonna believe in my promises, there's going to be consequences that are going to result. Verse 12, when Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him, from Harasheth Hagayim to the river of Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, up, for this is the day which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Here again, it is Deborah that has to say and, and speak to Barak and say, hey, buddy, now is the time. And then she says these very important words. Does not the Lord go out before you? Like, Barak, ultimately, aren't we trusting in the Lord our God? Isn't it he that spoke to you? Isn't it he that is leading this nation? Isn't it he who is our ultimate judge? Hasn't he gone out before you? Where is your confidence? Is it in the 10,000 men? Is it in, are you worried about these 900 chariots? What is, what is your heart, what is your mind affixed on, Barak? Has not the Lord already gone before you? Does not the Lord go out before you? So, Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. Verse 15, and the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harasheth Hagayim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword and not a man was left. Now, what we see here is that God indeed is faithful to his promise, that he called Barak to bring these 10,000 men to, to, to drive out these Canaanites who were oppressing the nation of Israel. God enacted deliverance for the people just as he promised that he would. And all of these uh, warriors were destroyed in that one day, in that battle, except one, who got away, Sisera. And who, uh, who did Deborah say that would be delivered uh, not to him? Sisera. Like, you will, Sisera will not be delivered into your hand. The glory will go to a woman. So here's how the story continues. Uh, Sisera runs on foot. He finds somebody who he believes to be an ally. That ally is actually descended from the nation of Israel. Uh, he finds that he's actually not nearly uh, as uh, able to be as confident as he is. 
uh, in their protection, but he rolls into, uh, into their tent and he says, hey, can you hide me out here? So he goes in and uh, the, the wife of his ally, Jael, uh, greets him at the tent and he says, hey, can, I, can you hide me in here? She says, sure, sure, come on in. Uh, right there under that rug would be a perfect place. So uh, he hides under this rug and he's famished from battle and he's thirsty and he says, hey, can you get me some water? And she's like, I'll do you one better. And she gives him some milk, which maybe puts him to sleep. I don't know. Uh, but, but he's definitely feeling like he's safe at this point. And the scripture says that she sneaks over to him. She, she treads lightly over to him and she grabs a tent peg and she grabs a mallet and she finishes the job, if you know what I'm saying. We've got a few little ears here, so I'm going to be kind of keep it G, you know what I'm saying? But the scripture ain't G, okay? You just read it and it's like, huh, you know, uh, it, it would definitely, you know, it would cause the rating to bump up, you know? And just as Deborah spoke, to Barak, just as the Lord had spoken, that the glory, the ultimate glory of the battle, and of course, in this cultural context, uh, the, the battle's not done until you get rid of the guy who is in charge. And the ultimate glory goes to Jael. Later in Judges chapter five, you can read it uh, later on. Uh, they sing a song about this battle. And, and I'll tell you, you know, songwriters were different back in the day. You know, uh, the songs we sing now, they're pleasant. Uh, Judges chapter five is like, it's graphic, okay? It's like more like a graphic novel, less like a, a worship lullaby, you know what I mean? But the, uh, the credit goes to JL over and over again uh, in that song. And I tell you, when you read a story like this, there's a couple of things that come to my mind. First of all, how in the world does this connect to the big narrative that we've been talking about? And we'll get to that. But the, the second thing, as I think about like reading a story like this, in my like time with the Lord, my, my, you know, whatever you call that, your devotional time, your quiet time, like whatever you call that, whenever you get like caffeinated and read the Bible, I think that's what Christians do, right? Uh, it's like the Bible and coffee or tea or I don't know. Some of you just drink water. Bless you. Bless you. Um, but, but when I read a story like this, I'm tempted and I don't know how you are, but I'm tempted to look at a story like this and think to myself, you know, Eric, man, what are you thinking? Like, clearly God is faithful. He's been faithful to Israel over and over and over again. The word of the Lord has already been spoken to you. And now this credible prophetess who is a faithful judge over the nation of Israel has spoken. And you're so hesitant to believe God. Why is that, Barak? But then I think about my own life when I finish my devotional, my little safe, little quiet time that I have in the morning, just me and the Lord. And I hit my actual life. <laughs> I, I hit the every day of my life. I hit the, the norm of my life. I hit relationships that are struggling right now. And there they are again. Uh, you know, I, uh, my children wake up from bed. <laughs> uh, you know, I have to head into work and have tough conversations or, uh, man, for you guys who are, uh, uh, for some of you who are cast members, you're, you're living that life where so often you're finding difficult circumstances, the guest interactions that you're having or interactions with your management or the way that the company is treating you or all of those different types of things. Maybe you have a, a hope or a dream that is unfulfilled. Maybe you're uh, pursuing a certain career path and it's not really going the way that you hope. There, there's hundreds, if not thousands of scenarios that we face on a daily basis 
that call into question whether or not God is faithful to us. And I don't know about you, but I find myself more often tempted to respond like Barak and less often finding myself respond like Deborah. The reality is my propensity, our natural bend as fallen human beings is to respond more like Barak and less like Deborah. As we read a story like this, we actually discover maybe I'm a whole lot more like Israel that falls into this cycle of going after other gods, right? John Calvin said the human heart is an idol factory that we're able to just pump out idols with our little heart day in and day out. And they look like things like comfort, convenience, food, sex, Netflix, you know, what, what, whatever, entertainment, whatever we, we're going after. And I'm not saying that any of those things are necessarily bad. In fact, they're created by God for our good. And yet, so often we take what is a good thing that God has created and we turn it into a God thing. And that is what idolatry is. And if I'm honest, I'm a lot more like Israel than I am like Deborah. I find myself in cycles of idolatry. I find myself going after things and then those things leave me empty and then the Lord has to discipline me and bring me back to my senses and bring me back to himself so that I can live the life that he's called me to live. And you would think that after that one time is all it would take, right? And I would learn my lesson and I would just pursue after the one true God who formed me and made me for himself and for his glory and that he would be my satisfaction and that he would be my good. But then... The cycle repeats. Can anybody relate? Or is it just me? I think maybe we're more like Israel than we like to admit. We're more like Barak, tend to doubt. We tend to doubt the faithfulness of God rather than to trust and believe in the voice of God like Deborah. But if we are more like Barak, prone to doubt, there's good news. And that's Deborah in this story points us to Jesus. I love what the Gospel Transformation Bible says about this passage, and I want to just read this. The Gospel Transformation Bible and the study notes say that God fights for his people. Failure to trust in God's defense was one of Israel's abiding public sins. The profound question of the pious Deborah, the godly Deborah, is addressed not simply to Barak but to believers in all ages, that's to you and to me, does not the Lord go out before you? We remember that this grace of God of providing what is needed for his people to rescue us is similarly displayed through Jesus Christ, our ultimate deliverer and judge. He has gone out before us. See, Jesus points us to Deborah. Deborah points us to Jesus. Jesus is the true and better Deborah. Deborah was obedient in her calling as a judge and protector, faithful in her calling, willing to go on the battlefield for Israel, even with the risk of death. But Jesus was obedient to his calling as the ultimate judge and protector. He willfully went on the cross for the world, even with the guarantee of death. See, Deborah went on the battlefield so that the nation would be reminded that God was with them. Jesus went on to our battlefield 
so that the world would be reminded that God is with us and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Deborah was obedient in her calling as a prophetess, speaking the word of God, regardless of the doubts of those around her. Jesus was obedient, not just as a prophet, but as the literal word of God made flesh, full of grace and truth, knowing that he and his words would be met with doubts. We see that in the life of his disciples. We see that in our own lives. Deborah protected an undeserving and idolatrous, doubt-filled nation. (laughs) But Jesus saves an undeserving, idolatrous, and doubt-filled people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. See, Deborah ultimately points us to Jesus and her reminder, does not the Lord go out before you? But Jesus sends out, sends us out in the battle and boldly declares, behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, Jesus is the true and better Deborah who remained faithful in his obedience to God and God's plan for our salvation. Man, he is the one who is the true and faithful judge, the one that his promises can always be trusted. You know, I think it's so easy for us to look around at the world and and ask the question, is God good? Is God involved? Does God see what's going on in the world around us? Is he faithful? And Jesus is the answer to that question. Jesus came and lived and died and resurrected from the dead so that when we ask the question, what is God like? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Jesus is our true and better judge. He's the true and better deliverer. He came for us, for our salvation, and we can put our hope in him. He is faithful to us despite our circumstances, despite the world that we live in, despite the fallenness and the brokenness around us and in us. He's worthy. He's worthy. Jesus is the true and better Deborah. And he is our deliverer. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. Jesus, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you have been faithful to your calling. God, I I recognize that I am so often unfaithful. (laughs) And Jesus, I thank you that you did not shrink back. And when you came to this world, you lived among us. You showed us who God is like. You brought your presence onto the battlefield of this life. That you stepped into uh, our world and provided salvation for us. Not, Not just at the right time, but when we least deserved it. Jesus, you came for us. You pursued us. And God, because of what Jesus has done, we can look to you and know that, yes, you are faithful. God, help us in our everyday lives, in our circumstances, when things surround us that we're just unsure of, that we struggle with, things in our relationships, in our circumstances, but also in our hearts and in our minds. The struggles that we have with sin, the struggle that that we have to follow after you and to trust in you, it's, it's real. And, and we admit that to you tonight, but we thank you that Jesus, you showed us what it means to be faithful. And so God, we put our trust in you. Jesus, we put our hope in you. 
that you are our salvation and that you are our life. So we look to you tonight. We recognize our dependence on you and our need for you. And we pray all of these things in your name, Jesus.